Hello, thank you very much for downloading this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich, and if you're interested in where innovative ideas meet practical realities in food production, you have come to the right place, my friend. Today's episode is a great example of true agricultural innovation. Most of you know our food system is heavily dependent on chemical fertilizers to efficiently get nutrients, especially nitrogen, to most of our crops. However, some of those crops, think legumes like soybeans, pulses, peanuts, etc., have a symbiotic relationship with fungi that actually fix nitrogen from the air and make it available for that plant. Today's guest asked the question, what if we could make this happen on all crops, especially on corn, wheat, and rice, which together make up a significant chunk of the chemical nitrogen consumption? We have on the show Karsten Temi, CEO and co-founder of Pivot Bio. Pivot's first product, Proven, is a microbe that when applied to corn can allow that plant to have a similar symbiotic relationship to, in a way, fix its own nitrogen from the air. If all this is sounding familiar, it might be because we had Pivot Bio's director of agronomy, Dan Poston, on episode 215 when we talked about the gap between farmers and ag tech. Also, longtime listeners may recall episode 160, where we talked about this concept with Mike Milley from Join Bio. But before we dive into the conversation with Karsten, I want to take a moment to talk to you about another podcast you should be listening to, Off Farm Income. I first discovered this show, hosted by Matt Breckwald, way back in 2015, when I first started trying to listen to ag podcasts. He's now up to almost a thousand episodes, publishing six of them every week, featuring small businesses in agriculture, FFA SAE projects, and rural crime stories and prevention tips. He's been helping people achieve the farming lifestyle since 2014, so if you love agriculture and the farming lifestyle, this is a show for you. Find Off Farm Income on any podcast podcast player or visit www.offincome.com. Hey, thanks, Matt, for supporting the Future of Agriculture podcast. Okay, let's dive into this fascinating conversation with Karsten Temi. Almost a decade ago, he started Pivot Bio with co-founder Alvin Tamsir. In this conversation, we dig into how their technology works, why this is so significant, and how synthetic biology in general could impact the future of agriculture in a major way. I'll drop you into the conversation, though, where Karsten is describing the why behind Pivot Bio. The way we do things today has relied on synthetic chemistry, synthetic fertilizer to make agriculture the successful production system it is. Uh, it also has a number of side effects, and there's a better way to supply nutrients to the crop. One that improves grower profitability, can better scale the system to meet the needs of our future global society, and protect our natural resources at the same time. And that's to go back to the way nature did it before we had synthetic fertilizer. So use the microbiome that lives in the roots of the plant to breathe in the air and turn that nitrogen gas in our atmosphere into a form the plant can use. That's the, the mission we're on at Pivot is use the crop's own microbiome, the microbes in the soil, to supply nutrients, spoon feed the plant on a daily basis, make better profits for a grower, and protect our, our planet at the same time. And as we've developed legumes, we've developed that trade along with it, the ability to fix nitrogen. You know, you're saying that that's sort of the way nature intended it, you know, to fix its own nutrient in terms of nitrogen. How come that didn't happen with other crops like corn, which I know is where you're primarily yeah, focused currently? Yeah. Well, it's a great point. So there's the symbiosis between soybeans and the rhizobia that live in the nodules and the root system. Uh, now, those nodules, that's an organ, just like our heart 
So the, the soybean makes that organ to house the microbes. The challenge is with our cereal grains, those organs don't exist. And the symbiosis is less evolved. It's uh, less developed. And so the microbes that can make nitrogen for cereal grains just live on the surface of the roots. When we invented synthetic fertilizer to supplement what the microbes can do, it really broke that symbiosis because the plant didn't have a, a way to protect the microbes from the environment. The microbes are, are sitting there every day making nitrogen for the, the plant. And then all of a sudden, there's a lot more in the, the soil because of the fertilizer and, and they go into hibernation. They don't want to spend their energy to do something that isn't necessary. And so we've kind of pushed the microbes to the side because we've used so much fertilizer and they've just been sitting there in hibernation waiting to reawake and get back to doing their job. Okay, well, how does Pivot Bio wake them back up and get them back to work? You know, thankfully, we have a lot of advances um, from our scientific community around the world that have made today possible. One of the breakthroughs is that we can sequence DNA. We can read out the genome of everything on this planet. And it means we have a, a powerful microscope to look below the ground into the root system of a plant and figure out that there are some microbes there lying in a hibernation waiting to be reawoken. We can bring those into the lab. Uh, we can figure out how they're wired to do what they do. These microbes, they produce a, a specific enzyme, one enzyme, but it's the most complicated thing that biochemists have ever found on this planet. And at the heart of that enzyme is the ability to turn nitrogen gas from the air into ammonia for the plant to use. And so it's taken about 50 years of academic research to figure out how these microbes are wired to do that. And what we do at Pivot is, is we combine that DNA sequencing with the blueprint on how they're wired to do that. And we wake them back up. What we do is we break their ability to sense all that fertilizer in the soil. And uh, they continue to make that enzyme, even though we're fertilizing our soils. And it, it means we can start adding back in the microbes, rebuilding that symbiosis with the crop, and they can spoon feed that nitrogen on a daily basis. To go back to your analogy about kind of building a house in the root, you know, you said the legumes, they build the house for the microbe and invite them in. Uh, so what happens in Pivot's case with the corn? Do they have a house or do they just decide to uh, perform this process of converting it into usable nitrogen down a loose out there by themselves in the soil? Well, they live on the root system of the plant. So their house is just living on the surface of the, the roots, kind of like putting a glove onto our hand. And what happens is as the crop is going through photosynthesis, it's turning that sunlight and carbon dioxide into sugars. And about 40% of those sugars are actually exuded out of the roots and they feed those microbes that live on the root surface. So what we do is we design products that take our microbes and apply them to the field at the same time seeds are planted. Right now, the commercial product is a liquid that goes in for wet planting. And we do a lot of research uh, with seed treatments. So hopefully we'll have something on the commercial side on that front soon. And as the seed germinates and the roots form, our microbes latch onto those roots, eat the sugars supplied by the plant, and return ammonia uh, in exchange for those sugars. Wow. And that's the proven product is the liquid? That's right. That's right. Yeah. And they apply it, you said, while while they plant. And then how much in the work you've done, because I know you've done extensive trials and, and collect a lot of data on this, how much of the plants needed nitrogen can these microbes provide? So proven product for corn, it's supplying about 25 pounds of nitrogen per acre. 
and that's all ending up in the plant. So the thing that we've uh, recognized is by supplying and spoon feeding the plant on a daily basis, you avoid leaving nitrates in the soil that could be washed away by the rain or volatilized by the heat. And it means less runoff and, and less nitrous oxide emissions. So, all right, you started this in 2011. Take us back there. What made you think that this was possible? You know, what in your experiences said like, oh, yeah, I mean, we, we can get corn to, you know, fix nitrogen. No problem. I was trained as an engineer at the University of Iowa, and I ended up in graduate school to pursue a question. And, and that was, had all of the science um, given us enough understanding of that blueprint, how a microbe's wired to make that enzyme so that we could figure out how to turn that into a trait and put it into corn? So could we make the next uh, transgenic trait by taking that sophisticated program and making it something that that's part of the, the corn genetics? Now, it's a phenomenally challenging technical process to do that. And we're probably still a decade or two away from being able to actually make that happen. All of the things you hear about gene editing and CRISPR, it's, it's potentially taking us down that path. But the result of my graduate work was, was saying we truly understood the blueprint well enough that that's possible. Just got to build the tools to, to help get us there. And my co-founder and I, what we said is, you know, we don't have a couple of decades to, to wait around for the, the tools to catch up. We got to figure out a solution that helps all of our growers and ultimately our planet out now. And one day it dawned on us, we were walking to the coffee shop, we said, if we just go back to the way nature does this, uh, we go back to those microbes living below our feet, we have a way to make a product today. The easier thing to do is figure out how to wake these microbes back up. And we can take the science, uh, take that blueprint, we can build a company. It put us on a path to be able to say, you know, are there investors who are willing to take the jump with us? Are there partners within the ag ecosystem who can help us learn everything we don't know? And are there growers who will help us push the science and, and build the product? And we found that all of those were true. And, and we've been able to build a, a pretty phenomenal team that has that passion and pursuit of a better way of supplying nutrients. So that's, that's kind of where things were about 10 years ago. And it's been a, an interesting path since then. Yeah, I can already tell we're going to get to the end of the hour and I'm going to stop more questions. So I'm going to just keep firing them at you here. You mentioned investors. Is raising money for something like this quite a bit different than maybe another ag tech company that has a sensor or a software? I mean, it seems more like there might be differences between raising for biotech and raising for ag tech. And, and this may be more on the biotech side. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. I think the thing I found is... The ability to get investors on the same team is, it really is dependent on being able to understand that there's a problem that, that needs solving. Something that's challenging and important enough that a customer is willing to, to part with money in exchange for that solution. And if we can solve somebody's problem, and there's a way to sketch out a path from today to that future, there's a way to, to get investors who can be aligned with that mission. And I think we found a great collection of, of investors. Our first money in was from a group called Data Collective, where their entire thesis is to, to focus on extremely hard technical problems, where technology and data science are going to be 
required to make phenomenal breakthroughs. So some of the world's biggest problems that require a lot of investment in developing technology and have a long road from start to commercialization. So the timelines might be more extended than some things that are classic technology, things that are classic Silicon Valley apps and hardware and devices. But the the core consistency is is that there's a, a really important problem to solve and a potential path to get there through technology. Yeah, I mean, this is not only a really important problem, it's a massive business opportunity. You know, there's I, I see a lot of tech companies where I'm like, oh, that is a really important problem. And, and I'm glad they're working on that. But it's harder to find like the massive business opportunity here. I mean, you are displacing nitrogen fertilizer, which uh, I'm sure you know the number. I don't know what the number is, but in the billions of dollars of nitrogen fertilizer is bought every year. It's pretty incredible on the business opportunity side. So I'm sure that was attractive to investors. Well, that's right. There's a a huge amount of our agricultural system that, that wouldn't exist without fertilizer. Estimates are about half of our food couldn't be produced if we weren't able to make any more fertilizer. And that means that out of all the nitrogen in our bodies, half of it came from this fabulous process called the Haber-Bosch process. That was kind of the, the pinnacle of chemistry and chemical engineering. That innovation a century ago was worthy of a Nobel Prize. And it's made it possible to fuel our modern society. By being able to think about the next evolution of that technology, something that's better for the planet, it means it has some pretty big ramifications in everything about society. And I think it can help take us through the next century and beyond. That's, I think, where the power of replacing chemistry with biology has so much potential. Walk us through that a little bit. The differences in the process of manufacturing a microbial solution versus a you know synthetic chemical solution, just in terms of why this is the next step in the evolution. Out there today, if you're applying fertilizer on a cornfield, on average, about half of that is not being captured by the crop. That half that's being lost to the environment is running into our waterways and, and turning into algal blooms and dead zones. It's uh, degrading into nitrous oxide, which is a greenhouse gas that is 300 times more potent than CO2, and it persists in the environment for about 100 years. And uh, the sheer process of making fertilizer creates a lot of carbon dioxide as a byproduct and transporting tons and tons and tons of fertilizer means we have huge um, emissions coming from the the barges, the pipelines, the rail systems that need to move it around the country. All of that is something that's a byproduct of the chemistry breakthrough, which is if you have a catalyst in a massive factory, it kind of looks like an oil refinery. Um, You can use high temperature, high pressure, burn natural gas, and turn uh, nitrogen gas in the atmosphere into ammonia. That uh, was a phenomenal breakthrough 100 years ago. And the amazing thing is some microbes, the microbes at the core of our product, have an enzyme that can do the same thing at just standard temperatures, ambient temperatures, and here at sea level without anything that's uh, unique and sophisticated and, and no emissions. So they can perfectly match the, the needs of the crop. They can supply just what the crop needs without having the byproduct of 50% of that ammonia being lost to the environment. 
And we can do it without creating emissions or any sort of uh, negative downside in a, a factory. So what we do is we kind of run something that looks like a microbrewery. We grow up our microbes just like you'd brew a, a tank of beer or wine. And then we package those microbes up in a way that it's kind of like packaging them to be stable on the shelf, just like you'd have a, a probiotic in yogurt. And, and once that gets to the field, our liquid product is added to the tanks uh, on a planter that, that can apply liquid infro as the seeds are planted. And every seed gets a little squirt of microbes on them. And then we let nature take its course and the microbes and plant grow together in symbiosis. And that little bit of that kind of squirt of microbes, that will fix for that plant. How many pounds of nitrogen you said over the course of the growing season? Uh, about 25 pounds an acre. And so what mass of the liquid gets us to 25 pounds of fertilizer? We're consistently refining our product. And we're talking about, think of uh, something that's kind of the size of one of those to-go Starbucks coffee containers. That you add to the tank and, and that's good for about 40 acres of coverage. So we're talking very tiny doses of microbes. They're really multiplying and living with the plant. Yeah. I guess what I'm getting at, though, you know, you got energy savings on the production process, I'm sure. Then you've got the energy savings on just moving this stuff around because you've got this multiplicative effect to fix this nitrogen over time. Then the real savings that you're describing is you don't lose any of it. I mean, it all gets spoon fed to the plant over the course of the growing season. Exactly. So if you do have a, a huge storm that comes through and uh, that heavy precipitation, it, it classically is going to leach away fertilizer. The microbes, they're adhering on the roots. They're not going anywhere. So dries out the next day, they just get back to doing what they do, making nitrogen and spoon feeding the plant. So cool. We've kind of been using this analogy of like waking up the microbes. What we're really talking about here is actually gene editing them. Is that right? Uh, it, it can be. What we want to do is make it so that these microbes, which have been in hibernation, make nitrogen, even though we're still fertilizing fields. So the way that they're wired, their DNA tells them if they can sense ammonia or nitrate in the soil, they stop making this critical enzyme and they stop making nitrogen for the plant. Now, that DNA inside of their DNA, it's, it's kind of like there's a, a circuit, that way to take uh, and sense the environment and then make a decision to produce the enzyme. What we need to be able to do is, is break that circuit break that feedback loop so that even if there's nitrate in the soil, even if the field is fertilized, that microbe can make the enzyme and start being a contributor to the nitrogen that the plant can acquire. And there's a lot of ways to do it. One of the best new breakthroughs is gene editing. So it's a way to be able to take what the microbes already capable of doing. And in this case, break that feedback loop. So avoid doing anything transgenic, avoid doing anything that really creates uh, a lot of barriers around uh, GMO regulation, but work with what the microbe can do today and enable it to make that enzyme even though we're fertilizing fields. There's also some other tools in our, our toolbox. So if we have parts of the world that haven't approved gene editing yet, um, we can revert to more classic tools and rebuild our strains in a way that fits with any type of regulatory system around the world. So there's a way to, to make our products work everywhere. That's really interesting. We know so little about what happens biologically in the soil. How do you know 
that something like this isn't going to sort of disrupt the microbial ecosystem that's happening down there because it, it just seems like it's sort of a, a dark area, you know, literally and figuratively, I suppose. You know, it's a new frontier in being able to understand all of the parts of soil that are living that we've never had an ability to read out or study before. Uh, for the last hundred years, a lot of our descriptions of soil relied on just the bulk chemistry. And, and now we get to see the dynamic behavior of the living parts. And what we've done is we've simply built a product out of a set of microbes that are already present in the soil. They're already living on the roots of the plant, already consuming the sugar that the plant supplies to them. The difference is instead of turning that sugar into something that's not useful, just kind of being lazy couch potatoes, they're turning it back into ammonia for the crop, just like they had evolved to do for the last uh, 10,000 years of modern agriculture. And it's really just the small slice of time, the last century, where they've been lazy couch potatoes. And in that sense, a lot of what we do when we map out the root system and, and all the microbiome that's present, it helps us ensure that uh, we're working with microbes that are naturally there, naturally capable of fixing nitrogen and really helping bring that entire microbiome back to the way it was a hundred years ago or, or before. Very interesting. For a farmer who's obviously concerned about dollars and cents, especially during this time where margins are slim to negative, what does the business case look like there as far as, you know, what are they likely spending on nitrogen fertilizer that they could potentially be saving by using this product versus what this product will cost them? So the way we try to think about that today, and, and our team is always running experiments just like our scientists would in the lab with figuring out what really is the best price within the marketplace and, and what's the best way to link the performance of our product with the price we charge. Ultimately, we want to be able to, to make profitability increase for our growers. And that means if it can come with better peace of mind, if the performance is more predictable, everybody wins. Uh, that uncertainty, especially in today's economic environment with uncertain headwinds uh, in the marketplace or in terms of the environmental uncertainty with uh, bigger and more frequent storms. I think the way we try to approach things today is, is to price comparable to what you might otherwise expend on fertilizer when you also take into account how much is lost to the environment. And then the added benefit is now you have the peace of mind, the consistency of performance that becomes the sweetener on the deal. So one of the things we've been able to see is when you use our product across acreage, we're helping raise the floor on yields that everybody is generating. So typically you look at a field, a, a yield map, and you'll see a lot of variation. We're trying to, to narrow that variation. We're trying to make it so that every plant has a better supply of nitrogen and ultimately a more consistent yield per plant. You're going to end up with better yields. We're going to charge you something comparable to what uh, you'd otherwise pay for fertilizer. And that should lead to better profitability for everybody who is in our grower base. And I imagine, you know, you have plans to expand beyond corn, but corn's a, a significant market. So it's, it's a no brainer, I, I'm sure, to start there. Do you foresee the ability for a product like yours to completely displace synthetic chemical fertilizer? The theory on the scientific side says yes. And we've got a 
phenomenal team that's making better and better products uh, all the time. Whether it's breakthroughs in our fundamental knowledge or translating that knowledge into new products that haven't hit the market yet. We've got a pipeline of hopefully some exciting innovation to unveil as time marches on. So we've got products that are out in the field today or product candidates, which blow the doors off of proven. And we've got stuff in the greenhouse and even at the lab scale that is pretty phenomenal. The path is, is something to where the microbes can be the essentially the only source of nitrogen a, a crop needs. And this technology is going to work on any plant around the planet. Pivot's going to focus primarily on corn, wheat, rice, and some of the other cereal grains. Corn, wheat, and rice alone, that's half of the world's fertilizer use just on those three crops. So we're looking to be able to make a, an impact and we can do it by staying pretty focused on, on just a narrow slice of, of our agricultural industry. Hopefully we can have some partners that help take us the rest of the way in, in other crops. You know, one criticism of modern agriculture is monocultures. So, I mean, do you ever receive the criticism or the skepticism about what Pivot's doing that we're just basically encouraging more monocultures? Because whereas maybe a farmer would rotate to a legume, uh, they don't need to anymore because they, they've got this product. I mean, is that anything that you hear for, as far as criticisms go or something that concerns you at all? I think there's a lot of great advances that are always happening when we talk about cover crops and rotations, even some intercropping. All great things. And I think we want to see um, those kind of innovations happen because it means more tools in a, a grower's toolbox. So similar for us, we look at how critical most of the large production ag uh, row crops are for modern society, and we want to make that better. So if you compare what we do to have a better source of nitrogen for crops with some of those other innovations, I, I think uh, it could be pretty exciting to see where that takes us as uh, a society. And uh, what else can you train microbes to fix other than nitrogen? Can you uh, improve our ability to sequester carbon, as an example, through through microbes? Or is that on the roadmap or, or is it pretty much, you know, focused on nitrogen, at least for now? We'll be focused on nitrogen for now. That's that's a big problem. It's a heavy lift that'll keep us busy for a long time. I, I think there's a lot of exciting things happening across the entrepreneurial ecosystem, whether it's using microbes to make more sustainable versions of products we use today. One of the things that, that a lot of corn has turned into is uh, ethanol. And uh, one of the products derived from beans uh, can be biodiesel. Both of those are processes that require microbes to ferment and, and produce the, the fuel. That can all be made better by, by microbes and, uh, and more productive. But now we're getting into a point with the new field of synthetic biology where you could think about making medicines or new materials that we've never had before on the planet from that same feedstock. So what if we could ferment corn into a therapeutic for COVID? Or what if we could ferment corn into uh, a new type of polymer that would make fabrics and materials the world's never seen before? That's where um, there's some new possibilities that'll emerge over the next decade or two, which mean we can think of our agricultural system as, as not just a food source, but um, something beyond even the non-food applications, um, beyond just fuel and fibers. 
Very interesting. Yeah, I, I find this concept of synthetic biology very intriguing, and my knowledge is extremely limited. So one maybe basic question on this is if we think about microbes as tiny little microscopic factories, is the input into that factory always a sugar, like a corn, you know, for example? For the most part. There, there are some different kinds of microbes that live on other energy sources. Uh, think of like the, the big hydrothermal vents under the ocean really uh, crazy places uh, around our planet. But most of the microbes we're talking about for industrial purposes, they're eating sugar. And a great source of sugar are are most of the big uh, row crops we talk about. And so to your point earlier, you might be able to find a microbe that under the right conditions could make a medicine or therapeutic of some sort. And in order to scale that up, they need to be fed. And so we might use a process you know, a corn process to feed them into making us the medicine we need. That's right. That's right. One example. So my co-founder and I in grad school, we were lab mates with a couple of a uh, couple of guys who started a company called Bolt Threads. And what they do is, is they take some uh, baker's yeast, but instead of using those baker's yeast to, to make bread or to make beer, They've taken um, some DNA from spiders and put it into those yeast, and they can brew spider silk. And what that means is spider silk, I mean, think Spider-Man, all the things that you, you've seen in the comic books. What could you do if you could produce that on an industrial scale? You know, what if I could go out and instead of buying a, a Patagonia jacket that came from essentially dead dinosaurs, I could have it made from spider silk? And that's not something we can do today because spiders are territorial. You can't farm spiders. They eat each other. So there's no way to be able to get access to essentially what's the world's strongest, most stretchy material, the, the ultimate type of fiber we could have. You know, maybe if, if they're able to scale that, we're, we're in a spot where you could take corn and turn it into some, some really space age uh, cool technologies. So, okay, I, I like where this is going here. Both, I, I like where that's going, but also where this interview is going, because as they are manufacturing this spider silk and you're manufacturing these microbes that are going to fix nitrogen on corn, can they be manufactured in the same place? Or does this really fit the microbrew analogy where you are you might have next door neighbors that are both microbreweries that are making this synthetic biology product going very different places, but you got to have kind of your separate processes. You know, it'll probably look uh, more like that, that latter example you described. At the end of the day, there's a potential for an entire new bioeconomy to flourish the more advanced these technologies get. You know, one of the things that we learned because of the pandemic was we're really advantaged in our business model being able to have a very resilient supply chain. We were able to essentially uh, restructure the way we produced and delivered our microbes to our growers this year ahead of all of those closures we were having of, of local communities because of the pandemic, we were still able to get everybody products, um, make sure that everybody depending on us for nitrogen had product in time to plant. Nobody missed a planting date. And all of that was possible because of this concept that there's a small microbrewery. You're able to ship things with the modern logistics system. You know, it's, it's like FedExing somebody a m couple of microbes versus relying on a, a train or a barge that uh, is a lot harder to move around. So I, I think 
you know, one for us, it's it's pretty critical to to think of this new concept in in producing a transformative technology. That's a disruptive business model. But then it's also a new opportunity for a whole new industry to grow in what we and others can potentially bring to bear. All right. Very cool. Carson, I really appreciate all this. I find all of this fascinating. It's great to talk about something that is technically way over my head, but I can understand because it's put in an agricultural context. And I think a lot of the audience will really appreciate that too. So wish you continued success with Pivot Bio and uh, let us know if there's any way we can support. If somebody's listening, they want to either try the product or become an independent rep or just generally curious, is it pivotbio.com? Is that right? That's right. So look for us on pivotbio.com. You can find a way to get in touch with us. Uh, I think our general email address is always info at pivotbio.com. On the website, there's going to be a way to find somebody who's local to your area. You can get in touch with if you want to uh, try out product or uh, have a deeper conversation. But reach out to us and uh, happy to follow up with anybody who wants to learn more. Thanks so much again to Karsten Temme for being on the show. The more I learn about what's possible through synthetic biology, the more I become convinced that it will be a significant part of the future of the ag industry. Thanks also to those of you who have left a rating and review for this show on iTunes. I'll read one here from Dilip Sharma. It says, Go-To Ag Resource, the Future of Agriculture podcast, is a go-to resource for all things ag. Tim does a fantastic job of bringing a wide range of guests, discussing the vast amounts of industry topics that keep you coming back for more. His curiosity, enthusiasm, and genuine interest translates to a succinct exchange between guests and hosts relevant Q&As, and ultimately offers true insights. Tim has brought in guests from various parts of the world that bring fresh perspectives to challenges and opportunities within the global industry. Hey, thanks so much to Dilip and all of you who have left a rating and review for the show. I really do appreciate it. It really does help spread the word. If you haven't yet, please consider doing so. And I'd like to read it on a future episode of this podcast. For all of you out there thinking of more innovative ways to keep the world fed, fueled, flowered, and forested, thanks for your time and your attention. I really don't take it lightly. I'll be back here next week with another story of ag innovation.